If you got your Bible today, we are going to be looking in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. We are very blessed in that uh, we have a Bible that has been divided into chapters and verses. And that way we're able to locate things that we would like to locate and find within the Scriptures. It was first divided into chapters in 1238, and it was first divided into verses in English in 1382. So it's been a good while, and as we grew up, all we've ever known is a Bible that has chapters and verses. During the last few weeks, uh, I've been doing a series of lessons, kind of just taking one chapter of the Bible and looking at that chapter. The good thing is that it kind of keeps us all focused together and not going from place to place, but helping us to be able to look at the same idea, the same passage together. And we've looked at uh, Psalm 23 and at John chapter 6, and today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 14. So if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you just to open up to Romans chapter 14. That's where it is we're going to be studying today. The book of Romans is thought of as maybe the greatest book in the New Testament. It's a book that is divided up into two sections. The first section is what is called the doctrinal section, and the last section is called the practical session. That is, uh, how are people to live and apply what God has given to us in His Word. Now, as we begin reading chapter 14, we find that the subject is going to be unity in the church. That is, when people disagree with one another, then we find the church loses its power. When there is criticism and bitterness and gossip, the church fails to be what God wants it to be. And so Psalm, so Romans 14 is going to deal with that very subject. And so if you've got your Bible, I'd like for you to follow along with me. First of all, he says in verses 1 through 4, we've got to get along with each other despite the fact that we have differences. Here's the way Paul wrote. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows him to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master the servant stands or falls, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand." Now, he begins this chapter, he says, now, I want you to know about disputable matters. That's the way the NIV reads. The New American Standard says, in matters of opinion. And I love the reading in the message translations that reads this way. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Now, we're not talking about baptism. We're not talking about the Lord's Supper. What we're talking about, he says, is matters of opinion. Things that you and I have as an opinion about a certain matter when there's not a scripture that tells us what to do in that case. Now, the subject must be pretty important because of all of the subjects that Paul wrote about in the book of Romans, this is the one that contains more verses than any other topic. That is from chapter 14, 1 to chapter 15, verse 13. And the first little problem that he deals with is about eating of food in verses 
2 and 3. You see, food became a problem when Jewish Christians became a part of the church. They had been raised in a system, according to the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 11, about things they could eat and things they could not eat. Now, you and I would have trouble with that over one thing in particular, and that was the eating of pork. That is, no ham, no sausage, no uh, pork chops, no pulled pork sandwiches, because the Jews had that as a very strict part of their Word of God from Leviticus chapter 11. And the second problem had to do with eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Now, a good place to go down and buy cheap meat was at a pagan market. But those food, that food had been offered to an idol. And so what if you got down there and you saw somebody who was a Christian and they were coming out of that temple or out of that marketplace having bought some food that was sacrificed to an idol? How in the world are you to react to that? Well, what Paul says is this. What we need is tolerance of a person who has a different point of view. Uh, when I grew up, my uh, mother and dad didn't go to church. But for some reason, uh, my mother would never let us go to the movies on Sunday. I don't know what it was. She didn't go to church. It wasn't a church thing. But traditionally, she had been taught you shouldn't go to the movie on Sunday. And so we could never go to a movie on Sunday. Now, that was an opinion. It was not in the Scriptures, but that was something that she valued. And so, as a result, that's what we did, although we didn't go to church. And then in verse 4, Paul adds this, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Now, you don't have the right to uh, call into a, a, a place that you're going to judge them because of something they do that you don't like or don't disagree with when they're not your servant. They are the servant of the Lord. And who are you to judge the Lord's servant? So the first thing Paul says is, we've got to get along despite the fact we have differences about certain matters of opinion. Well, number two, the second thing he says is, we're not to judge others. And beginning in chapter 14 at verse 5, we find that Paul wrote these words, One day... One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. And whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to ourselves, and none of us dies to ourselves." Now, the second area he talked about, first of all, was about eating meat. And the second area he talks about is observing days. That is, the Jews had certain days they observed. You may remember, for example, that the uh, Sabbath day was very important to the Jews. That came far back in the Old Testament from the uh, Ten Commandments to remember the Sabbath day, which was Saturday. And so a Jew who became a Christian had been accustomed to observing the Sabbath, and now we find that as a Christian you don't have to observe the Sabbath because that was a part of the Old Testament law and not the law of Jesus. They also, you may remember, had many feast days. 
And those feast days were ones that they were uh, obligated as a Jew to follow. And so they were accustomed to observing the Passover and the Feast of Tabernacle and all of those things. And then suddenly all of that's wiped out and you don't have to do any of those things. So as Paul says, we've got here Christians and they have a problem with days. I don't think that he really had here in mind the Sabbath day. Back in chapter 6 at verse 14, Paul says that uh, we are people who are not under the law but under grace. And so it was under the law that people were to observe the Sabbath day. But what about the feast days? There is a, uh, a, a Baptist church here in town that observes the Old Testament feast days. And one of those is the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you want to know what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about, look back in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 42. You may remember that when the Israelites came out of Egyptian bondage, that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And during that period of 40 years, they would live in shelters, what we would call lean-tos or maybe tents, and that was the way they lived. And so when they had finished getting through the promised land, were getting through the wilderness wandering and ready to go in the promised land, they then were instructed to remember that wilderness wandering and they would for one week live in a shelter, uh, a tent or a lean-to. Now, uh, a Jew who had been raised up in that suddenly finds that that no longer isn't a binding law on God. But what if you went to a church and that church said, you know, we want to remember what God did for His people for 40 years and so we're all going to camp out for a week and uh, you can make you a little lean-to or build you a, bring a tent or something, but we're going to observe that. What would you do? Well, if I had gone to a church and they had a tradition of doing that, I would say, if that's what you want to do, fine, I'll, I'll camp out with you. I'll go out there and remember what God says. But now if they said, now you are obligated to do that, then I'd have a problem with that. But Paul says, listen, if a person wants to observe a day, that's okay. If they want to observe a feast, that's okay. But remember that you are not the judge of God's servant. Here's the way that uh, the message translation translates this. One person thinks some days should be set aside as holy, and another thinks each day is pretty much the same. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of their own conscience. Now, if a person thinks that's what they ought to do, fine, let them do it. If a person thinks that's not what they should do, fine, let them do that. Because you and I are not the judge of other people. Then in verse 7, Paul says this, I want you to know that we do not live in isolation. This is the way Paul said it. For none of us lives to ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. What Paul is saying is that you and I are people who are not obligated to do what other people think, but we are people who are obligated only to do that which the Lord has done. 
In verse 9, he gives another interesting statement here along that line. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Now, this is what I understand he means. The Lord is in charge of those who are living, but he also is the Lord of those who have died or those who have lived in the past. You see, maybe you and I look at our grandfather, our great-grandfather, and how they lived and how they worshipped, and we don't do things exactly like they did. And like that, so we don't look back and say, you know, we've got to do what our grandfather did. That's not necessarily so. Now, the Lord is the Lord of the dead, but He also is the Lord of the living. Let me give you a good example of that. In the book of Acts chapter 5, we find in verse 7 that there is a story about a man and his wife, Ananias and Sapphira. And you may remember that Ananias came in and he made a, a statement about how much money he had gotten from a uh, piece of land he had sold and he was giving all of his money. And the Lord knew he was not giving all of his money and you may remember that he was struck down in the church and they carried him out and they buried him. Now if you read of that chapter, Acts chapter 5, it says, Three hours later, his wife showed up at church. Now, I want you to think about that. Here is the church has been meeting, and how long, we don't know. But it's at least over three hours when it was that uh, his wife showed up. Now, what if you came to church this morning and I said, Well, I hope you brought your lunch with you because I'm going to be preaching for three hours. You said, Wait a minute, wait a minute. That may be the way they did it back then, but that's not the way we do it right now. And you see, there is a judgment cause that could come into here because you say, well, that's the way my grandfather used to do it, and I think that's the way we ought to do it. If that's what you think, that's well and good. But probably most people today are not going to be involved in three- and four-hour services every Sunday. So if you're not doing what it was that they did, that does not mean you're doing something wrong simply because you don't do things the way that your grandfather or your grandmother did them. And then in verse 12, Paul ends this little section by saying this, So then each of us will again give an account of ourselves to God. That is, who I'm going to have to give an account of is Dick Marcier. Who you're going to have to give an account of is for yourself. You're not going to have to give an account for me. I'm not going to have to give an account for you, but each one of us is going to be able to give an account of ourselves to God. So I am not in the judging business, but I'm in the business of trying to live like God wants me to live according to His Word and what I understand it to be. I guess the best sermon I ever heard uh, on this subject was by a black preacher. And he made this statement that I've always liked. He said, you know, I want you to know who I am. He said, I am not the judge. He said, I am just a lawyer. And what I'm going to try to get you to do is what I understand that the law of God says to the best of my ability, but the one who's going to pass judgment is going to be God and not me. So as you and I live, may we know who we are. And that is, we are people who are trying to follow the law of God and the Word of God and do the best we can with the Word of God. But the one who's going to pass the judgment is God. And you and I are not to be in the judging business. 
Well, number three, the third thing I want to show you is in verses 13 through 16. And I've labeled that little section, Love Triumphs Over Liberty. Look with me, if you will, in verse 16. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. That is, something that you think is good and you know it's good, don't let people say evil about it. Now, I'll give you a couple examples here. There is a Church of Christ in the panhandle that uh, at least a number of people, and maybe the majority of the people, think that it is sinful to eat in the church building. And so they will not allow anybody to eat in the church building. But if you go to that church to visit, you'll find that uh, at the front of the church, there is a wall. And then if you look about six inches over from that wall, there is a fellowship hall that they have built. And if you want to go from the church building to the fellowship building, you've got to go out a door, come around, and then enter in a door over here so that you can go in the fellowship hall. Now, when I see that, I think, you know, that that's not any big deal. I mean, you know, if you had a door that went from the place that you had worship over to where you had fellowship, there wouldn't be anything wrong with that. But now, if I went to that church, and that's what those people believed and what they practiced, then I would say, well and good. I'm not going to try to upset them. I'm not going to try to disturb them. I'm not going to try to make this a, a big issue because they've settled on that and they think that, and if that's what they want to do, well and good. Now, a second illustration I'd like to give you. from a There was a fellow who uh, years ago was a famous preacher by the name of H.I. Ironside. And, and during his ministry, he had converted a young man who was a Muslim. And everybody uh, kind of knew it in the church, and they were thankful of that. And they were having a picnic one day, and a, uh, uh, the Muslim man was talking with Dr. Ironside, and they were visiting, and a lady came around with a basket, and she said, how would you all like a sandwich? And the Muslim said, well, what kind are they? And the lady said, they are ham sandwiches. He said, uh, no, thank you. I don't believe I will take a ham sandwich. And she said, wait a minute, brother. Don't you know that in Jesus you are free and at liberty to eat anything you want? And if you want to eat a pork sandwich, you can. And he said, you know, he said, I'm over here running a business that was started by my father. And he is a devout Muslim. And every three years, I go back to the homeland and visit my family. And when I knock on the door, my father comes to the door and the first thing he always says to me is this. Have those infidels got you eating that filthy hog meat? And he said, and I can say to him, no, sir, no pork has ever crossed my lips. He said, and then I can go in and I can tell them about Jesus. He said, I am at liberty to eat meat. I'm also at liberty to refuse meat. And so his reason may be different than yours and mine. But that was the way that God has spoken and the way God has looked at that. You know, when you think about that uh, situation about the church buildings, did you realize that the uh, beginning of church buildings was not until at least the 4th century? So if anybody has something to say about a church building, 
they're not going to be able to say it from what is in the Word of God because the Bible does not have anything to say on the subject of church buildings. Well, number four, five, four, let me look at this. And that is from verses 17 through 23. He says, what I want you to do is, I want you to keep the main thing, the main thing. Follow with me, if you will, beginning in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and a mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. He said, I want to tell you how God wants us to live. He wants the main thing to be the main thing. That is, in verse 17, he says, I want to tell you what the kingdom of God is. It's not a matter of what you eat or what you drink. That's not what the kingdom of God is. But the kingdom of God is when we are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and are doing that which God wants us to do. And that's what we've got to do. Keep the main thing the main thing. And then in verse 19 he says, And I want you to make every effort to live in peace and mutual edification. Everything you and I need to be doing is thinking, well, will this bring peace in the church? Will this build the people in the church up? Will this help them to walk closer to God? Will this be more of what it is that God wants them to do in their life? And finally, in verse 22, it's kind of an interesting subject. He says, and whatever you believe about this, keep to yourself and God. That is, if there's something here that may be a controversial thing, keep it quiet. You know people don't uh, like this or you like that, and if you bring it up, it's going to cause trouble. Don't do it, because God's called us to be peaceful people who love people, who encourage one another, because that's what the kingdom of God is all about. And we've got to keep the kingdom first and thinking about what God wants above all else. I had a sad thing I had to do this week. I've had a bird dog for over 13 years and she's gotten old couldn't hear very much barely could get up and walk around and so I had to take her out to the animal shelter and have her put to sleep when I went in a lady was there to meet me and she said what would you want and I said uh, I have a dog I need to put down she said, well, why do you want to do it? And I said, well, I said, she's gotten old. I said, she can't hear. I said, she can just barely get up and, and move around and walk, and she's just in pain, and I know that's what needs to happen. So the lady said, go out and get her and bring her in. So I went out in the car and got her, brought her in. They had a cage, and I put her in it. And uh, as I turned around to walk out, the lady said, 
Here's a Kleenex. Because she knew there were tears being shed. You know, it was a sad thing to lose a dog. But I want to tell you something that's even sadder. And that is losing a brother or sister in the Lord. Because I'm one that wants my way and I want things done the way I think they ought to be done rather than the way that God has said them to be done. And I want you to be very careful and very aware of brothers and sisters in the church. Do everything, Paul said, that's going to lead to mutual edification and is going to build up and not tear down the church. You see, what we're talking about today is matters of opinion. We're not talking about baptism. We're not talking about the Lord's Supper. We're not talking about some doctrinal message that's in the church. It's in the Scriptures. But we're talking about my opinion and your opinion. And if you have an opinion that you know will cause people trouble, Paul says, keep it to yourself. Don't be one that's going to do anything that's going to cause trouble and division within the kingdom of God and within God's church. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, we're thankful to You for this chapter in Romans 14. And may it, dear God, be that which is in our heart. That we know, dear Father, that there are people because of the way they were raised and what they were taught sometimes will have opinions different than ours. But dear God, may we be people who are people that sow peace. We bring people together and not divide people. Dear Father, we love You and we want Your church to be what You want it to be. Just use us, dear Father, in whatever way You can to build harmony and unity so that Your church will grow. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation this morning. And maybe there's a way we could encourage you. Maybe you'd say, you know, I'd like to be a part of this church. And if that's your desire, we would just welcome you with open arms. Maybe you'd like to come today and confess your faith and be baptized. Everything's in readiness if you'd like to do that. I'll be up here at the front and our elders will be at the back. Maybe you'd like one of them to join you in prayer about a matter. If there's any way we could serve you today, if you'd like to come, do it right now as we just stand and sing together. A common love for each other, a common gift to the Savior, a common bond, holding us to the Lord. A common strength when we're weary, a common hope for tomorrow, a common joy in the truth of God's Word.